Hello and welcome to the Kitchen Sink Podcast. We were having technical difficulties with this recording, so the beginning of the recording has garbled places. We wanted to preserve as much of Michael L.'s share as possible. Please have patience. The recording gets clearer after about the first five minutes. Also note that you can now attend the Kitchen Sink meeting via Zoom while we're still doing it on Zoom, which may be a while. Go to oalaig.org for login information. Thank you. And now for Michael L.'s share. My name is Michael, and I'm a grateful abstaining compulsive reading for, I would say, 15 years. I grew up in Los Angeles and attended this meeting Abstinent birthday, June 5th, 1986, is my OA birthday. Uh, so I just celebrated 34 years of abstinence. I came into OA when I was 22 years old. Can you imagine? So come to the meeting, people who are in their early 20s, I always relate to them, even though I'm 56 years old now. My talk weight is about two seconds. Um, so this is me. I'm so sorry about the garbledness. That must be very frustrating. Um, I've had an opportunity this week to remember that in the sixth grade, I was only 30 pounds overweight. I was a very precocious kid. I was also a very creative kid. And something happened to me in the seventh grade where I think I stopped growing up. I got older, but I didn't grow up. I just started eating a lot. And by the time I got to graduating high school, I had gained 110 pounds in six years. Some people say they yo-yoed, went up and down. I just yoed. Uh, for six years, I just went up. I can tell you, looking back now, I I wanted to be noticed, I wanted to be acknowledged, and I was not comfortable with who I was. I had no coping mechanism. I had no skills for life, and so I just kept eating. Michael, how did you deal with the death of your father uh, before you were eighteen? I didn't. I just ate. Michael, how did you deal with being gay in high school? I didn't. I just ate. Michael, how did you deal with not having any friends? I didn't. I just ate. At some point, I got really scared, and I tried to lose weight. And I can tell you that many of those attempts were successful for a while. I I, I always lost weight, pretty much, whether it was for a week or for a couple of months, but I always went back and ate the way I used to eat, and so I ended up weighing what I used to weigh. I think the issue was I never really addressed why I was eating. I didn't know I needed to. I just thought I had a food problem. I didn't know I had a life problem. I was very scared little boy. But I didn't want you to know that. So I turned my back on the world 
I said, I don't need anybody or anything, and I'm going to do this on my own. I could share with you a lot of compulsive overeating stories, how I stole food, how I got arrested for shoplifting uh, in stores because I would just take the food and just eat it in the store, um, how I took food from my roommates, and I was so afraid that they would find out that I would then replace it. Not only replace it, but replace it exactly the way I found it. So if there was a half a jar of peanut butter and I ate a half a jar of peanut butter, I would go out and buy a new jar of peanut butter, eat the half a jar, and then put it back. I had the disease of compulsive overeating, but I didn't know that I did. I remember when I got, I just remembered, when I got arrested for shoplifting, I said, I have this thing. I I didn't know what to call it at that time, but I had this thing. I am one of the lucky compulsive overeaters. Somebody actually took me to my first meeting. They actually knew me. They knew of me. And they did what I must try to do now is they tried to carry the message outside of the program of Overeaters Anonymous. More on this later, but I think it's actually pretty easy to carry the message of Overeaters Anonymous inside a meeting. You go up to the newcomers, you welcome them, you say hi, you read. But what about when I'm the other 23 hours of the day? How am I helping the compulsive overeater who still suffers? So somebody I knew knew that I was in trouble and took me to my first meeting. It was actually at the Gay and Lesbian Center on uh, La Brea uh, in Los Angeles. There was a bomb scare in the meeting, and the meeting lasted about five minutes. So my experience in my first OA meeting was uh, was a little shaky. But my second meeting was in a wonderful little spiritual cabin called the Log Cabin on Robertson Boulevard on Sunday night. And I got two things that evening that I believe is important to be at every OA meeting I attend. Identification and hope. I identified, which was very important. Somebody else did the things I did, felt the way I felt. They called it compulsive overeating. And I said, oh, that's what this is. They had, there were people that had gained hundreds of pounds and kept it off for years and years. That was something I wanted, but I, and, and I could also identify with. The second thing is hope. I heard at every OA meeting, we need to hear hope. Why do we need to hear both? Well, if I identify and there's no hope, then I'm screwed. And if I hear hope, but I don't identify, then that's great, but that's not going to work for me. I can tell you that I became a member of Overeaters Anonymous, but I was like the person who got a gym card at the gym and didn't avail myself to the equipment at the gym. There were trainers, like sponsors. There was equipment, like tools. There was even a plan of eating, like a nutritional plan that somebody might pass out at a gym. I didn't avail myself to any of those things. I was the person who went to the gym, sat in the corner for an hour, got up and left, 
and said, I don't understand why nothing's changing. And so in the program of Overeaters Anonymous, I binged my brains out several times. That's not true. Probably two or three times. I didn't want to have anything to do with the G.O.D. I didn't want to have anything to do with the literature. I was too afraid to ask for help, and I was too prideful to ask for help. So I kept on eating, and I kept on binging. Strangely enough, there was a person who befriended me when I first came into the program and actually was keeping track of my abstinent dates. And um, wasn't really a sponsor, but called me up every once in a while. Side note, (laughs) when there are newcomers, I have to take down the numbers of the newcomers. They're not going to (laughs) call. That's been my experience. Newcomers, they're not going to (laughs) call. You have to take down their phone number and call them. You have to reach out to them, Michael. They're scared. They're worried. They're afraid. So I have to reach out to them. And he reached out to me and befriended me. I had 90 days of abstinence. I had lost my abstinence twice already. Wasn't using any of the tools, any of the steps, any of that. And, but I, and I was white knuckling it all the way. I was ready to binge my brains out. Side note, I wanted to eat for the first two years of abstinence. I've had some newcomers say to me, I'm three days abstinent and I want to, I'm crazy and I want to eat. And I'm like, honey, of course you want to eat. My God, if you're like me, you're still developing the tools that you need to stay abstinent. You know, Dr. Bob, he talked about in his sobriety that he wanted to drink for many, many years. And it was only working with alcoholics that saved him from not drinking again. So if you're abstinent and you still want to eat, you're in good company. That's been my experience. You can still get to 34 years of abstinence with wanting to eat your first several years. But it does take availing yourself to everything that OA has to offer. Anyways, um, this gentleman, his name was Matt, um, called me up and said, Michael, you've got 90 days of abstinence today. I said, uh, yeah, but I'm going to be binging tonight. I, I, it's 5 o'clock. I'm, I'm, I'm screwed. And he didn't say, get your ass to a meeting. He didn't say, well, if you're going to eat, go out and eat. He said, well, I'm going to a meeting, and I'll save a place next to me for you. It was Friday night, Thalians, and by some miracle, I got to the meeting. And I knew I was going to binge that night. And that night after the meeting, I sat on the couch next to him, and I said, I don't know how to do this thing. I don't believe the way you people believe. I, 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 I just, I don't think I can do it. I don't even think I have the capacity for faith. And I learned a lot that night, but let's just say that I was willing to go to any lengths that night to stay abstinent. I, when I hear in meetings, I'm, 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 I'm not abstinent. I don't have abstinence. I feel saddened because I learned that at every OA meeting, we get the gift of abstinence. We don't have to find it. We've got it. We've got it. 
We've got this amazing million-dollar gift. If I treat my abstinence like a million-dollar diamond, it's the most valuable thing I have. Then everything else doesn't matter. And I can tell you, side note, I had a man who loved me, a woman who loved me, $100,000 in the bank, a house on the hill, 2,000 people, um, 2,000 people getting up and cheering, and I wasn't abstinent. I lost all those things in OA. I lost them all, but I didn't lose my abstinence. And I was more happy in OA than I'd ever been. Eventually, I gained many of those things back. But that night, I was willing to go to any lengths to stay abstinent. And I started my journey on the steps and the G.O.D. I did call God G.O.D. in the beginning. And sometimes I even call God G.O.D. now. Because my sponsor said those were just three letters that we were going to use to mean a power greater than ourselves. Five minutes, Mike. Thank you. And so I started to ask for help, something that I did not have a lot of experience with before coming to OA. I realized that I did have the capacity for faith. I had put in putting faith in things all my life. I put faith in money. I put faith in a job. I put faith in a man. I put faith in a woman. I just hadn't found the right thing to put faith in. Side note about faith. I've had, um, during this pandemic shelter in place time, what's going on at work, I've had a big opportunity, growth opportunity out. I hear this, I've heard the story about, um, faith is getting in the plane, getting on the plane, fastening your seatbelt, and knowing that the co-pilot, the pilot in the cockpit is driving the, the, the plane, is flying the plane. I don't need to fly the plane. I don't know how to fly a plane. They're taking care of it. I don't get out of my seat, bang on the cockpit and go, hey, uh, get me in there. I, I know what I need to, I know what needs to happen. No, I need to sit back and fasten my seatbelt. But what I've learned recently is there's something far greater than that about faith before I fasten my seatbelt. It's having the faith to get on the plane and not know the destination. To me, that is huge. Can you imagine going to the airport and getting on a plane and not knowing where the destination is? But I can tell you today that the hope that I had when I came into Overeaters Anonymous has turned into an unshakable faith. I can't tell you when. I can tell you how through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. But today, I know that I'm going to be taken care of. I know that I can ask for help. And though I still find it difficult when I look at my ticket and go, wait, there's no destination on here. Where, where, where are we going? Um, I can still walk through my fears. What did I hear? Courage is fear. That has said its prayers. Courage is fear that has said its prayers. I did work through the steps. 
I worked through steps four through nine. I can absolutely tell you I didn't do them because I wanted to be a good OAR. I didn't do them because I wanted you to like me. I didn't even do them because my sponsor insisted. I did them because my experience, my identification was if I didn't do the steps, I would lose the precious gift of abstinence. And I had lost it so many times that I didn't want to lose it again. Steps 10, 11, and 12 I have found the most difficult because, again, they deal with the unknown. And for me, the unknown is difficult. Steps 4 through 9, I lived steps 4 through 9. I lived that. I could go back and go, oh, I've been here before. I'm not saying it was easy, but it was a lot easier than steps 10, 11, and 12. I did a lot of service, and I still do. And the literature says nothing will so much ensure immunity from compulsive overeating than intensive work with other compulsive overeaters. It works when all other measures fail. What kind of measures, Michael? All measures. So this may be OA blasphemy, but my sponsor said, Michael, when I'm not available, when you don't feel your higher power, when you can't connect, if you work with another compulsive overeater, my experience has been you will not compulsively overeat. And I can share with you that my experience has been that when I've called another compulsive overeater, talked about the steps about another compulsive overeater, I have not binged. So I've done everything from put away chairs to serve on the board of trustees for seven years. Um, I've got one minute left. I talked about the thing that I really wanted to talk about and didn't want to talk about is what's happening right now. What's What's happening with the with the world? What's happening with my work? What's happening? And I got to be reminded, I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is I have an unshakable faith that I'm going to be taken care of. Um, and that started with me asking for help to my G.O.D. I didn't even know I could pray. And my sponsor went, oh, Michael, take your slippers, throw them under the bed. And while you're on your knees looking for them under the bed, ask your higher power to help you stay abstinent. And I've been doing that for the last 34 years, asking my higher power to help me stay abstinent. I assume we'll have some time for my, some questions. I'm sorry if the mic was um, difficult to hear. Um, I'm so grateful for this meeting. I'm so grateful for all the OA people that I've come uh, uh, in contact with. Over the last 34 years, I can absolutely tell you that without Overeaters Anonymous, I would not be alive today. I either would be 700 pounds or I would have blown my brains out because I could not stop eating. And when I did stop eating, my life was completely unmanageable. I don't know where this is coming from. So I am a debt of gratitude to Overeaters Anonymous. Thank you, Vincent, for asking me to share this morning, and um, God bless. Thank you, Vincent. Um, uh, I logged back in, so hopefully you guys can see me in my little, on my little phone. Okay. Um, yes, so great question. Do I have a morning ritual? Um, I, I prayed um, during the day, 
and I read my, my literature, but I didn't really have a morning and an evening ritual. Um, and I was at a convention up in Northern California, and I was talking to my then sponsor, actually who still is, and I said, you know, I just, I, I haven't really done a morning and an evening thing. I find it, I find it too time consuming. I don't do it regularly. I just don't know what to do. And she said something so amazing. She said, Michael, I notice you have an appointment book and you make appointments all the time. In fact, for your job, you've got like a, an appointment on Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Do you attend that meeting? I said, yeah, every week. I, she said, do you, do, would you think of skipping it? I said, no, actually. No, I, I would actually, I actually go every week. She said, interesting. I wonder if you made an appointment with your higher power every morning and every evening to check in with him. Would that work for you? And I said, I never ever thought about making an appointment. And so from that day forward, I started a prayer and meditation in the morning and a prayer and meditation in the evening. And I can tell you almost without fail for the last 15 years, I have been doing that. And my program catapulted. Why? Here's a little secret I'll tell you. There's a page in Asbill Sees It, and I'll, Barbara, I'll get to the specifics of your question, but here we are. We're on this path, and here we go. We're on the plane, and this is where the destination's going. There's a page in Asbill Sees It that says, the step that keeps us growing. And I'm like, oh, yeah, the step that keeps us growing. Step 10. Yeah. Maintenance. Maintenance. And I went on to read. It says, no, Michael, the step that keeps us growing is step 11. Most of the other steps can keep us abstinent and functional. But it's step 11 that keeps us growing. And I thought, I'm not poo-pooing at all the first 20 years of my program. It was amazing. I stayed abstinent, and I was very functional. But the real growth in my program started when I began a regular appointment with my higher power to do prayer and meditation so I could continue to grow. How did I do it? The Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous says it would be easy for us to be vague about such things. But on page 86 through 89, it's extremely specific. Upon awakening, let us think about the 24 hours ahead. And it also says, when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. And so that is a step 10, step 11 for me. And I've been doing that for the last 15 years. I definitely, first thing I say in the morning, is this true? Yes. God, please keep me clean, sober, and abstinent. And at the end of the night, if I can remember, God, thank you for keeping me clean, sober, and abstinent. And so my experience, which is all I have to share, is that my daily ritual in the morning follows the path that's laid out in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, starting with the section, Upon Awakening, Let Us Think About the 24 Hours Ahead. And I've, uh, in there, I do the third step prayer and the seven-step prayer, and the 11-step prayer, but they're all in there. Help me comfort rather than to be comforted. Um, I, God, I'm now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I turn my will and my life over to you. 
And that has really helped me grow over the last 15 years. I hope that's helpful, Barbara. Okay, um, Don, you have a question. Yeah, hi. Um, the, uh, Michael, when you moved from L.A., where there's obviously a lot of program and a lot of meetings and a lot of uh, fellowship, how did you continue your program in your new location where I'm going to assume there is uh, less of all of those? Yes. Well, you know, when I got a job offer for Sacramento, California, before I accepted it, I went on a trip to Sacramento to um, check it out. I knew one person in OA from Sacramento. I called her up, Barbara. Barbara, what's the best OA meeting in Sacramento? She said, Saturday morning, 9 to 10. And I said, huh, well, that's actually my home group in Los Angeles. My experience has been a lot of strong meetings happen early on Saturday morning in many cities in around the world. Um, so if you're looking for a meeting, look for Saturday morning. So on my trip, I made sure that part of my trip was going to that meeting. So I went up on Friday night, and on Saturday morning, I attended this meeting. It was a step-setting meeting. There were about 40 people there, and I was very, very impressed, and I was very, very comforted. And I thought, wow, okay, this is good. This is a meeting that I think can help sustain me. Of course, I had to pack all everything that I learned the first 20 years in OA into my suitcase and carry it up to Sacramento. I'm going to share with you an interesting story. What about my sponsor? Oh, shoot. My sponsor was in L.A. So for the first year, I tried to keep my relationship with my sponsor by calling them and so forth. And it was okay. But at some point, it became clear that I needed to find a sponsor in um, up here. As fate would have it, miracles do happen in OA. My sponsor moved to Sacramento a year later. So the year that I had worked with her on the phone, by the time we learned that I needed to get a sponsor up here, she moved. So um, if you have the luxury of having your sponsor move to the same city you do, that's wonderful. But, um, you know, I found that also as I've gotten older in the program, meeting attendance is extremely important. But it is not the end-all, be-all to being abstinent. If it did, everybody who attended a meeting would be abstinent. And we all know, unfortunately, that's not the case. So I took my program with you, with me. And Don, it's probably no accident now that I think about it. It was when I moved up here that I found that it was important for me to move on with my step 11 appointment to really grow. So maybe if I'd never moved, I never thought of this. Thank you, Don. If I had never moved, I don't know if I would have been motivated to take that extra step and really work on a step 11. And I can tell you that my life is so much richer and so much grander, and I know myself so much better, and I am such a better person. I'm less angry. I'm less intolerant. I'm more loving. I'm more helpful. 
in the last 15 years than I was in the first 40. Five minutes, Mike. I hope that answers your question. I'm sorry, Mike, what did you say? About five more minutes, sir. Okay. Well, we get to have a couple extra minutes because we did the secretary's report early, hopefully. I took that into account, Michael. Oh, okay, good. All right, sorry. Next question. Uh, how about Nancy D? Hi, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for your share. Um, I, I really appreciate it. Uh, since you came into the program in your early 20s, can you speak a little bit about how your relationship with your higher power has evolved since then? And where I just say? Sure. Sure. Um, you know, it talks about in the literature from, from a flimsy read, a flimsy read, and I love that, this little flimsy read that you would pick out from a, from a brook. Um, we find that ultimately we have this, you know, unshakable faith. Um, Nancy, when I first came in, I really wanted to understand God. I really wanted to define it. I really wanted to know what it was and who it was. And the literature says it was impossible. It was what, Michael? Impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend the power, which is G-O-D. So I stopped trying to figure it out and just moved forward with asking for help. I really didn't have a, 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 a true connection. I, made, I came up with an idea that I thought made sense to me, and I started to ask for help. And sometimes I really was just talking to the ceiling. Um, I heard in a meeting once, prayer works whether you believe it or not. <laughs> so um, I just started to do it. I can tell you that what I heard in a meeting that made sense to me is, after doing it enough times and getting enough evidence, it's kind of like going to a restaurant. Of course, nobody can go to a restaurant now, but you go to a restaurant and you go, hey, that was a really good meal. I had a really good time at this restaurant. I think I'll go back. And then you go back again, and you have another good experience. And you go, wow, I've developed a relationship with this restaurant. It's a really good restaurant. I can have an abstinent meal. I love the service. It's affordable. I have faith that if I go to that restaurant, I will have a great abstinent meal. And that's been my experience with the G.O.D. I can tell you, this is my personal experience, so forgive me. I was definitely looking for G.O.D. out there. And ultimately, it says in the literature that it is deep, deep within us, deep, deep down, where ultimately it can be found. And I would say over the last 15 years, it's been trying to connect with the higher power that is within me. And I know that sounds kind of paradoxical. How can you have a higher power that's in you? Um, but I can tell you that my higher power has been blocked previously by food, by anger, by fear. And when I have the 12 steps to be able to get rid of those things, the higher power sings and yells strongly deep down within me. So I hope that addresses the question, Nancy. One last question. We have uh, Julie Taylor. All right. Thank you. Uh, you mentioned that at some point you stopped growing up. 
how did programs help you grow up? And also, then, how do you look back at little Michael? It's a great question. I can only share with you my experience. I remember there was a time in OA when people were carrying around teddy bears and people were like trying to get in touch with their, with their little selves. And at the time, that wasn't something that resonated with me. And I think that's what helped me realize I didn't want to learn to how to be a kid. I needed to learn how to be a grown up because I didn't know how to do that. My first set of parents tried their best, but they didn't teach me very much. So um, I had to go back through my life, through experiences in my life where I should have grown up, and utilize what it says in the literature about now about sex. But, but my sponsor at that time said, change the word sex and put in now about this problem of growing up. And each problem, I had to go back and it says, what should we have done instead? What should we have done instead? We are making an ideal for the future. So I had to look at each area of my life that I felt I didn't grow up, dating, um, an example, and say, what should I have done instead? And formulate an ideal for the future. So, yes, I dated an Overeaters Anonymous, and, yes, I have felt like a 17- or 18-year-old kid because I didn't get a chance to do that when I was growing up. I had to, um, and so that's just one example, Julie. Now, um, you, you made a good point. I don't carry around a teddy bear, but sometimes I do have to get and listen to the still small voice of the little Michael and think, what does Michael need right now? What does Michael want right now? Is it selfish? What is it? And most of the time I want to be noticed. I just want to be acknowledged. I want to be cared for. And the best entity to take care of that for me is my higher power. I hope that answers the question, Julie. Thank you all.